Welcome everyone to this edition of In the Know with Kat Bobineau. Today my guest is Dr. Marshall Shepard, who is a professor at the University of Georgia Athens, as well as an international expert on weather and climate. There's a lot more to his biography, but we'll go ahead and jump in with him and see what we can learn today. Hi, Dr. Shepard. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your biography? I know there's, I know it's very extensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving me some props as an international uh, expert. I'll take it. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm the director of the atmospheric sciences program at the University of Georgia. Uh, basically, atmospheric sciences just replaced that with meteorology and climate. So weather and climate—that's just a catch-all term. Uh, I actually, before joining the faculty at the University of Georgia, uh, I spent 12 years of my career at NASA, uh, at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, which is in the Washington, D.C. area. I know you all have uh, NASA Ames yes, we do. Uh, out, out that way. Um, I was a research meteorologist at NASA working on large weather and climate satellites uh, programs, and then I came to the university. Uh, I spent a year as uh, I was elected by my peers as president of the American Meteorological Society, which is the, the largest professional society in our field. And then after that, um, I actually was asked to host a show on the Weather Channel called Weather Geeks. And so uh, I do that as well. Uh, it comes on every Sunday at noon Eastern time to be on 9 a.m. Pacific there. Mm -hmm. And I also write for Forbes magazine to contribute a column on weather and climate. Oh, don't forget your uh, correspondence at the White House. Yeah, you know, I've been to the White House a few times. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been honored to be, because of my expertise, I do get called upon to go to the White House or to uh, the Congress or NASA or various places. I, I hosted an event at the White House uh, last year called Champions of Change, where they were actually honoring uh, people that were teaching and improving on climate literacy here in the United States. And uh, I, I also attended the White House Science Fair last year as well, yes, where I got yes. a selfie with Bill Nye, the science guy, which I happen to know. A little birdie told me is you're one of your idols. So. He is my idol, and I did see that picture, and I was very jealous. Very, yeah, very know, jealous. So that, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, you know, one of the things that comes along with establishing your expertise in the field, Cat, uh, is that you, you do get called upon by the media, um, by the White House or Congress to come and talk about what you know. And in, in my area, weather and climate change is a hot topic, so I, I stay busy. That is amazing. And that is a biography for the guys. I don't know. I, so many people can look at this show and see that you have gone all the way through to a career that's given you immense amount of time in the field and being out there and meeting different people and being invited to the White House numerous times. So how can did I, all, how did it get started? How did you get started interested yeah. in the weather? Yeah. Can I say, yeah. Cause I, you know, it's almost like highway robbery cat in a say, in a sense, because I don't feel like I work. I mean, I get paid, <laughs> but I mean, I'm like a kid in the candy store. I mean, I mean, really who, who works for NASA? Who says that? I mean, I got right. a chance to work at NASA for 12 years and now I'm university and going various places. I'm talking about weather. I mean, you know, and it all started for me with a bee sting. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I got stung by a bee. I thought I wanted to be an entomologist studying oh, wow. insects, but then I got popped by a honeybee and I was like, okay, I need it plan B. 
Uh, and plan B was, okay, I'm not going to do my sixth grade science project on bees anymore because I just don't want to die if I get stung. Uh, I have to carry an EpiPen even to this day. But then I decided to do my science project in sixth grade on weather. So I did a sixth grade science project. Can a sixth grader predict the weather? Mm -hmm. And I made weather instruments and things around the house. I developed a little weather model for my community. I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta, North Georgia area. And I actually had success, won the science fair. And from that point on, I was bitten by the weather bug, pun intended. Because, <laughs> so uh, the, the sting of the bee made you not want to be an entomologist, but what? being bit by weather made you it, go into that. Exactly. And the thing about it is I knew I didn't want to be on TV. I thought, oh, this is the weather tomorrow, sunny and a high of 50 degrees. I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. I was more interested in the hows and whys of weather. So I knew that I wanted to go more into research and development. Even in sixth and seventh grade, I started researching what universities had top meteorology programs. And wow. being from the South, I found that Florida State University did. And so that's where I did all of my degree work, bachelor's, master's, and PhD. Wow. So I don't think that many sixth graders uh, know what they wanted to do and yeah. then follow through Right. looking up schools and, and being able to find a program. Did you have a mentor along the way that helped you solidify this? Yeah, my men mentoring is interesting. So I grew up in a single parent home, and I think that's the story for a lot of people, particularly African-Americans and my, and my peer group. And so, you know, my, my mother was always a strong influence because she was a teacher. But my sixth grade science teacher, a woman named Lily Mae Nash, was just very inspiring even at that age. Wow. And wow. then uh, I was also, a, yeah, I consider Dr. George Washington Carver a mentor from afar because I just read about him in books. My mom went to Tuskegee uh, Institute, okay. now Tuskegee University. And so going there with her for homecoming games and those types of things, I learned about him. I was just fascinated by what he did with the peanut and with agriculture on very little resources. So. You know, he inspired me from afar. But then later in my career, I had had a couple of mentors. Uh, Dr. War Warren Washington took me under his wing a little bit after graduate school. If you don't know who that is, Google him right now <laughs> if you're watching this. Uh, he's yes. the first African-American climate scientist. He recently received the Presidential Medal of Science from President Obama a few years ago. He's a, he's a very rare uh, African-American in the field of climate modeling and uh, an inspiration to me. He brought me out to the National Center for Atmospheric Research. I uh, didn't really know me, and I spent a week with him. And some of my very philosophies about being a scientist now, I owe to him. Wow, that is amazing. And and do not discredit yourself. I know that he has done amazing work, but so have you. And you're a pioneer in the field being an African-American male. And so do you find that being a pioneer do you have a lot of students, especially students of color, who are looking up to you and wanting to go into the field as well? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I was, uh, was and still am the only African-American to get a Ph.D. in uh, meteorology from Florida State University, which is one of the oldest and well-known programs in the nation. That program's been around for you know, forever. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I can't believe that I still am the only one. But yeah, you know, I, I have, uh, as a professor now at the University of Georgia, I have my own graduate students. I have six right now and two are African-American males. One just finished, uh, defended his uh, dissertation and uh, is now as a meteorologist for the U.S. Forest Service. So, you know, the interesting thing, there's so few of us in that field. Even when I got my Ph.D. in 1999, the national percentages of African-Americans in our field probably jumped by double digits just because I got the degree. 
that nice. tells you a few people. And so when my graduate students get their degrees, that certainly increases numbers. You know, when I when I agreed to so do some of the things that I've done over the years, be the president of AMS or host the show, I initially had some hesitancy about doing that. But then I said, you know what? Um, that's uh, I can be a role model for some little African American or even it or some kid period African American or not to say look you know I can go do that too and so you know that has really informed my reasoning for doing some of the things that I do even perhaps when I had some hesitation about doing it. Well, that that is amazing, and uh, you said the numbers jumped in '99. Um, has it jumped significantly since then? I mean, that's. 17 yeah. years later, are you seeing a higher number of African-Americans going in the field? Well, I, I, mean, I wrote an article, and one of my uh, articles in Forbes was on why African-Americans don't go into STEM. So if you, you can go out and find that on, at Google at um, why African-Americans don't go into STEM. And I, I interviewed and talked to some of my colleagues, African-Americans in the field, and, because, you know, as you well know, there just aren't many minorities, underserved minorities that... Um, underrepresented minorities in many of the STEM fields, meteorology, yeah. um, atmospheric sciences, climatology included. So um, the numbers are still, about, you know, as I said, I was president of the American Meteorological Society. We take surveys of our membership. The numbers are still about 2%. So about 2% wow. of, uh, the, of the American Meteorological Society, which is catch-all umbrella organization of climate scientists, meteorologists, atmospheric physicists, about 2% of our 14,000 members are black. Wow. Well, that is definitely a message for those who are watching. That is a field that's there. It's available for you to go into, and you can be very successful in this field. So yeah, please it, don't hesitate. Yeah, and I would say that it's a field where, you know, there are different types of aspects of our field. When I say that I'm a meteorologist, I get three questions. What channel am I on? What's the weather going to be tomorrow? And do I believe in climate change? That's what I always get. But in reality, most meteorologists aren't on TV. I mean, they work for various private companies, the federal government agencies, and then you've got atmospheric scientists, climatologists. Uh, there's a whole, I, I wrote a piece for the State of Black America report two years ago that the Urban League puts out, and I talked about the opportunities in green businesses, the green economy as we move more towards renewable energy, uh, renewable resources, sustainability, and resiliency. So there's a whole new emerging job market. Just look at what... Elon Musk is doing with Tesla. Mm -hmm. I know he's based out in that area. Um, there's a whole new economy, cat, uh, that's going to emerge uh, centered on environmental and climate stewardship. Right. And you can go into uh, atmospheric science and learning about the climate and how the climate is changing because it's always changing, correct? It it's is just we're exponentially making it get become a problem. Yeah, so, you know, the climate always changes naturally, but... Uh, with the human uh, contribution of what we call the anthropogenic contributions, greenhouse gases increasing, we're seeing changes to that climate system. So if you think about it this way, a baseball player, let's use an Oakland A, I won't go there with <laughs> uh, So you know, let's think you. about a, a baseball player that hits home runs. They could hit home runs naturally, right? But mm -hmm. uh, if they take steroids, they could hit more home runs and even longer home runs. So our climate system is a climate system on steroids now. And so that's starting to affect our weather patterns, the extreme events that we see. Even where things like the certain vectors, mosquitoes and ticks can live, mm -hmm. uh, climate, uh, I'm sorry, doctors in Canada have to come to the U.S. now to learn how to uh, treat Lyme disease because they didn't have it in Canada. Right. But now right. that tick can live there because it's warm enough. We're seeing changes in uh, agricultural productivity, destabilization of uh, 
uh, societies of climate refugees around the world, and that causes conflict, and that leads to military instability. So there are all kinds of linkages to our and with our changing climate and the ability of us to respond to it. Right. So uh, would the change in climate have stuff to do or something to do with the floods we're now seeing, especially in um, in the South? We're seeing a lot of floods happening. Yeah, exactly. In, in Texas and South Carolina, various places. So I was just on a National Academy of Sciences study that looked at what we can say about attributing or linking current extreme events to climate change. Mm-hmm. And what we found in that report, and you can download that if you just Google uh, Weather Attribution National Academy of Sciences, a 167-page report. I was one of 10 experts that authored that report. And what we found is that uh, heat waves, drought, and some of the extreme rainfall events have some linkage to, we think, now to climate change. We think that hurricanes and tornadic storms, there may be some linkage, but as you well know, we don't have enough uh, evidence in the peer-reviewed literature to say that conclusively yet. That doesn't mean that they aren't linked, but as scientists, we have to kind of go by what the peer-reviewed literature says, so there needs to be more study. So, you know, one of the things that you're experiencing right now on the West Coast is a very significant drought. And uh, that drought, drought happens naturally. I have some climate skeptics who come up to me and say, we always had a drought, Dr. Shepard. What are you talking about? Of course you did. But we're seeing these droughts linger and are more frequent. Um, there's, because of the melting of the ice up in the polar regions, believe it or not, that has an impact, we think, on the jet stream pattern. So, for example, in California, where you are, you guys have been locked in a jet stream pattern where there's a ridge of high pressure that's just stuck on top of you guys. You don't get much rain. And so you're in this drought. Now, Death Valley, California, just set a record, uh, their warmest June on record. Now, Death Valley is cr- traditionally the hottest place on the planet. Absolutely. Yeah, but they just broke their own record. So that tells you something right there. Well, that is a, a kind of a scary thought, but it's a it's a true thought. It's a true statement that things are changing and we are helping that change and not in a good way. So it's very important, especially for those climate change skeptics, to realize that climate change is going to happen regardless, but we are making it a problem. Yeah, and it's not something way off in the distance or, oh, something looming down mm-hmm. in the pipeline. Things are happening now, um, and that's important. But you got to keep in mind, the whole notion of climate skepticism is, is rooted in a lot of things that are bigger than, bigger than us. Think about what happened when the tobacco industry, uh, when, I'm sorry, when the science came out and said that cigarette smoking was uh, addictive was, and nicotine was addictive, and it was bad there, was, health, there was an industry that tried to discredit the science. Mm-hmm. And so we see that as well in climate science. We see what I call zombie theories a lot. What are zombie <laughs> theories? There are these theories that we as science scientists have long killed off or refuted, but they live on like zombies in the social media and in blogs. So, uh, you know, things like, oh, we haven't warmed since 1998, or oh, the sun's causing this. These are zombie theories, things that the science is long uh, discredited, but they still kind of live on. Yeah, that is the, uh, the curse and the blessing of social media and Google. Uh, <laughs> you can, you can oh, use Google to find all the reports that you were talking about in the show, but you're also going to find these zombie theories saying that climate change isn't real or that we're not having this problem. Exactly. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of climatologists out there with degrees from Twitter Tech or Wikipedia <laughs> University. 
Exactly. And they're and they're experts in their fields. Not that they spent twelve years at NASA, but <laughs> they seem to be experts in their field. Yeah, I know a little something something about the climate system. <laughs> Somebody will still debate me uh, sitting in their basement eating Oreo cookies saying, Well, look, according to my records, I was like, What records are those? What records? Yeah, they're I believe uh, they call them Twitter trolls. And oh, yeah. those are the ones who are trolling on on Twitter trying to find a a argument to have and they have no basis behind it. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I I get it a lot, but you know, these days I don't I don't really kind of partake. There there are definitely people out there that are skeptical or just want to know more, and I generally will spend time with them trying to kind of educate and explain, but then there are sort of that very small minority percentage that are they're not that many but they're the vocal minority they're, they're very loud and annoying you know how a mosquito is actually really small but it can be really annoying really annoying and and leave a mark exactly so, yes i totally understand um when we are talking about going into meteorology or uh going into climatology um, what would you tell someone who might be interested in the weather and interested in this type of science to do in order to get to the level that perhaps that you're on or get to having someone as a mentor like you? Yeah. Well, first of all, to go into atmospheric sciences, which includes meteorology and climatology, you have to be really good in math and physics. Uh, you know, oftentimes I'll have students come into my office and say they want to kind of go into this field, but I say, I'll, I'll remind them, I said, the atmosphere is, a, is basically a fluid. And so the meteorology and, and climate and atmospheric sciences is really fluid dynamics in disguise. Mm -hmm. So we have to take a lot of physics and a lot of calculus, partial differential equations, that kind of good old stuff. And then if you can kind of get through that, then you can eventually take our, you know, the various meteorology and atmospheric sciences courses and whatnot. You know, I do recommend at least a graduate degree of some type today, master's degree. And by the way, I know you just kind of got your master's degree. So yes. um, yes. congratulations yes. to Thank you. Thank you very that. much. Yeah. Uh, a little birdie was actually trying to recruit you at one point to try to get you out to the University of Georgia for a few. I, <laughs> um, I know. But, I, I remember that birdie trying to get me out there. And I haven't said, I haven't completely disagreed with that. I'm just trying to figure it out. I know that. But no, but my point is it, it really is helpful to get a, um, a, a graduate degree of some type. If you want to work at a, a place like NASA or be a professor, you really do need the Ph.D., Mm -hmm. uh, particularly at a, what are called research-intensive universities like the University of Georgia, where I am, or Berkeley there, or Stanford. These are research-intensive, so um, faculty members do need the Ph.D. Now, one thing to note about professors, we teach, but we don't teach as much as you might think. We also have research programs. We advise graduate students. We're leaders in our field, so you have to have a broad base. And one of the other things I recommend for students in any science, no matter become sort of expert in your top in your science, but make sure you can communicate that science verbally and in written form. Now, if you can't communicate what you're discovering or tell people why it's relevant to their lives, then you're just doing it in a science in a vacuum. <laughs> That's very true. And what we do, what we definitely need, which is what I'm also trying to provide, is those that are in the STEM fields being able to verbalize what they do and show students, especially students and teachers and parents that you can go into this field because look at me, I did it. I'm no different from you. You know, I just had an interest in a certain topic and I chose to pursue it. Exactly. And so we definitely need more people like you who are able to articulate what they're doing and do it well in right. written form and in verbal. No, exactly. So, and I, you know, when I tell young scientists, you know, don't, don't sort of blow off those, um, sort of public speaking or oration cor uh, courses in college. 
um, the, those reports that you have to write. I mean, honing your skills in these areas is very important and uh, communicating, particularly when we're under increasing pressure by Congress and policymakers to when they don't necessarily understand the science themselves, they want to know why you're doing what you're doing, or, oh, should I cut this program? Because it doesn't sound like that's important to me. It sounds trivial, mm -hmm. you know? So you got to be able to, you know, you know, tell people why it's important because they sort of certainly elect policymakers. Absolutely. And on the, um, on that line of talking, where we're talking about being able to be seen kind of like everyone else where students can look at you and say, okay, I can do this as well. Let's uh, kind of change topics for a minute and talk about what you do outside of your job. Okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty regular guy. I mean, I, you, I know you're one of my favorite friends, so you get kind of a look into my world, but even there, yeah. it doesn't kind of communicate who I am because I, you know, I still have people that see me on Facebook or in social media and they think I'm this sort of very serious academic professor or scientist type but in reality you know outside of that i'm pretty normal i like to go to concerts uh i like to play golf tennis basketball you know i like to um you know just do things like go whitewater rafting mm -hmm. you know um hang out go you know, I, you know i'm a big music aficionado in fact i'm sitting here in my home theater room right now uh down down in the basement where you know i've got a full movie theater and a sound room that i just sit here sometimes and listen to music um so, you know, I'm a normal guy. I'm pretty silly. A lot of people don't sort of see those aspects of me because you don't know. I mean, I, I like to go to comedy clubs. and you know, So, you know, I think that it's, I, people might be surprised. And you know, I was actually a pretty decent athlete. I mean, I played two sports, basketball and tennis in school. I mean, and pretty much, much could play other sports as well at a fairly high level. But I think people kind of have these. And I know this is important to you. Uh, I try to break down these sort of stereotypes of mm -hmm. what a scientist is because, you know, I, you know, I know how to kind of put a suit together and tie. I mean, you know, those kind of things, you know, some of our colleagues kind of struggle in that regard, but I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, I can kind of do those things, you know, so, we, you know, at the same time, and I know this is important to you, I'm trying to break down sort of this notion of what a scientist is or looks like. Right, and so uh, for the audience, I do want to let you know that before we started taping, Dr. Uh, Shepard was telling me he just saw Tony, 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 which is, you know, a group from out here. So uh, he's very into the music scene, oh, very so, into the baby. sports scene, you know, and it's okay to be able to wear a suit to work and be able to wear, I don't know what he wears to a concert, but, you know, something outside of a suit and be able to be a regular person just like you and I. You know, right. but he has the opportunity to be a meteorologist and then also sit into his uh, media room, which I don't have out here. And I don't think anyone, for the most part, has out here in California. Our oh, houses are too small. Do you have basements out there? Huh? Uh, no, not really. Yeah. Most people don't have basements out there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a must. That was a must when I bought my house here because I, I knew I wanted to put in a theater room. Yeah, we, we, we don't do basements really out here. We don't yeah. have the threats of, like, tornadoes and all that stuff. So most people don't have basements out here. But um, is there anything that you would like to share at the end of this? We're towards the end of our time. So is there anything you would like to share, especially to any impressionable audience that's looking at it about what you're doing and, you know, how to get into that field? Yeah, I would just say something that I've always done and I still do to this day. If you have certain goals, make sure you write those goals down. One week goals, one year goals, five or 10 year goals. 
write them down and actually check them off. I keep lists of things that I, you know, I want to achieve. So um, write those things down. And also, uh, you know, I just saw um, the Avengers movie recently. I was thinking about Iron Man. You know, you got that iron suit on. Develop an Iron Man suit. Don't worry about what people think of you, what they say about you or care about you. Kind of have a tunnel vision for what you want to do and achieve. Because you're going to have people that talk about you. You're going to have haters. You're going to have all of that. Um, so just kind of stay focused. Those, those are advice. And watch Weather Geeks every Sunday, 9 a.m. Pacific time uh, on the Weather Channel because we're talking about some really interesting things that I think people would like. You don't have to listen to all the politics and all that thing on Sunday. You can listen to us and learn about STEM. Okay. And also, I know you told it to me, but I already forgot. Can you give everyone your Twitter account yeah, so they can so, follow so you? I'm on Twitter at Dr. Shepherd 2013. That's D R S H E P H E R D at Dr. Shepherd 2013. Uh, I also have a public Facebook page out there as well. Okay. Well, I encourage all of my audience to go out and find Dr. Shepherd. He does amazing things. Like he said, he writes for Forbes. He's on Weather Geeks every Sunday, and he's a professor at University of Georgia Athens. So I want to say a very special thank you, Dr. Shepard, for being available and being a part of my show. I truly, truly appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, being a hater on your Facebook page <laughs> for everything that you go through and all the fun that you have. So. Absolutely, and good luck to you all and, and everything that you're doing with this show. Um, I'll definitely tweet it out there and get it out there, and uh, good luck with you and your, your uh, emerging career as well. Thank you very much. All right, take care. You too. You too.